Attention architects and creative minds, get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul, uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. Entree Architect community, welcome to the backstage area of Context and Clarity. Every Thursday afternoon on Context and Clarity Live, Catherine McPhail and I and our live audiences that are joining us from all across the internet, we get to talk to a special guest to search for clarity around the things that matter most to you, the architect, no matter what your context is. You may be the employee of a firm that's dreaming of doing your own thing. Or you may have had your own firm for a year or 10 years or 20 years, and you're starting to rethink or reimagine what that firm could or maybe even should be. Every week, we cover topics that fall under the broad umbrella of the business of architecture. And they're all the need-to-know topics for the success of entrepreneur architects just like you. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff Eccles, and what you're about to listen to is the audio recording of a conversation that my co-host Catherine McPhail and I had to break down this week's Context and Clarity live conversation. So thanks for joining us as we share our biggest takeaways and look for ways to apply what we heard in the Context and Clarity live conversation to our own businesses. In this episode, we talked with Emily Sikorsi. Emily is a co-author of the book Rooting Up, Essays on Modern Branding, a co-founder and the CEO of the brand strategy firm Root and River, and also a speaker for the upcoming Entree Architect Community Annual Meeting. Now, if you know me, you know that brand, branding, brands are topics that I love to go deep in the weeds on, and I really geek out on them. And I really love Emily's perspective on brand strategy. We started this conversation with her definition of brand, and talked all the way through to the question of what do you do with this thing called a brand? Where and how do I use it? I'd call that brand activation. This is a topic that I know challenges many architects, 
But I think that we were able to wrap up almost all of our audience questions into this conversation as well. So I hope that after you listen, you come away with some clarity about what might have seemed like some pretty murky water. Catherine McPhail joined me once again for both the conversation with Emily Sikorsi and backstage afterward. Catherine is my co-host, and she's an architect and a podcaster in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. In addition to Context and Clarity, Catherine hosts Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven, and she's the CEO of Demios Architects. As always, I'm looking forward to talking about our takeaways from the conversation. So let's go backstage and listen in as Catherine and I talk about our conversation with Emily Sikorsi, brand strategist, co-founder, and CEO of Root and River. You know, what's interesting is that having a, the idea of a post-pandemic brand is, it just struck me that every single person on the entire earth just went through this pandemic or is going through the pandemic. So it's an actual marker of time and a time during which a lot of people's lives changed. So it's an event that would require us to think about things and change during the whole thing. So anyway, I just realized that. As you're describing that, I don't know why this popped into my head, but I, I thought about trees. You know, when you when you look at the rings of a tree, you can look at it and go, okay, well, these, these rings are evenly spaced or these rings are close together or these rings are far apart. And you can, you can sort of track history, environmental things, you know, um, that affect the tree in that way. And I think, I think that's a really, a really good way to think about it, an interesting way to think about it, because how often do we have something, and maybe thankfully we don't that often have something where we all go through something that makes us reevaluate things on the level that we have um, as we've gone, you know, from basically the middle of March 2020 until now. But, um, you know, in, in talking with Emily, and, and one of the questions was, do brands evolve? And I, I was curious about that because she is going to be talking about post-pandemic brands, which I think implies, you know, or how do we think differently? As you said, how do we think differently about everything that we do? And she said uh, that basically the foundation probably won't change that much, but the way that we want to work and the way that we want to be seen and, um, you know, the way that we interact in our clients, we may be thinking differently about that. And so that may affect some change in the future. So I, w I was really looking forward to this conversation because I knew there'd be some fascinating aspects of the, f you know, for me that, that geeks out on, on brand and branding and things. I knew that there would be some, uh, some nuances to, uh, to really dig into. I think generally speaking, we as small architects, sole proprietor architects hadn't necessarily thought much about our brand before the pandemic, and I'm trying to think about if that's true, it might have been about maybe a year before that I started thinking about it. But then obviously having hanging out with you every day during the pandemic, it's been more on the top of our minds, I would say, maybe more than the typical architect out there. I'm not sure what the rest of the architects are going through. But there is still some resistance to the idea or understanding of the idea of brand, I feel like. I definitely think that there is still resistance 
you know, I think the number one reason is, is lack of understanding, you know, what a brand is. And that's why I started out the first question with Emily in our conversation was, you know, what is a brand? And one of the things that Emily talked about was experience. You know, what is the experience of, essentially, what is the experience of working with you? You know, if you're a small firm, a medium-sized firm, any, any, you know, sole practitioner or whatever, what's the experience of working with you? It begins with an inward journey to really uncover what we believe and pull it all the way through the client experience, which I think as business owners or as people who are really um, in, I'll say as a creative field, I consider myself creative as well. It, it, you're very consumed, right? By what's in, in front of you, but it's branding, the act of branding, the process of branding begins with sort of a pull the car over moment and this deep dive. And instead of fixating on um, you know, one part of it, it's like taking a, a look at into what we call the soil of soul to determine what is it that I really truly believe that's powering me every day as a human being. And then how, how is that showing up in, in the work that I'm doing, the work that we as a team are doing, naming those things and, and, and getting um, kind of consensus around them and then pulling that through to say, okay, now how is that showing up in the client experience or how is that showing up in the process that I've created? And so it's very rare that we take a step back to actually get intentional about what's there and then um, and then start to pull it through. A lot of times we just start on the other end, like, oh, I want my clients to feel this way. And so we're like, okay, how can we create that feeling? But it, it's so much more effective and sustainable when you begin with the foundation work and you know, no, I consistently want to make people feel, uh, I want to be a reflection of my deep belief in beauty right? I want everything to do to reflect that. And that's one of my core beliefs. So how can I infuse beauty into everything that, that, that we do, that we touch? I really liked hearing her definition because I, my default is to fall back to that definition. I repeat this over and over and over that whether you want to attribute it to Marty Neumeyer or Jeff Bezos, it's that definition that your brand is what other people say about you when you're not in the room. And when she gave her definition and part of that definition, like I said, was about experience. I, I think those things mesh, it's especially for architects. I think those mesh really, really well because when someone has hired you, someone has worked with you as an architect, what are they going to talk about? Are they going to talk about the house that you designed? Sure, of course they are. Um, are they going to talk about what it's like to live in that house or, you know, whatever it is that you design, whatever types of projects you do, they are, but when pressed, you know, if we think about this in terms of marketing and business development, I need these clients to refer other people to me. I need these clients to, um, to convince other people or, or reassure uh, other people that, yeah, I, this, I might be the right service provider for them. So what that eventually is going to come down to is not the house, not what it's like to live in the house, but what it was like to work with you. It's that experience piece of it. 
because you could, this is one of the things that, that just, <laughs> uh, it boggles my mind is the way I'm going to say it right now. Um, it boggles my mind all the time when I talk to an architect and I say, what, what makes you different? And they say, well, the, the quality of our design is what makes us different. And I, I hate that answer. You can't quantify it. It's completely subjective. And the problem is that unless someone can look at a project, and I guess in this example, specifically your project, and say, oh, I know exactly who designed that. Right. But a lot of times it doesn't happen because maybe you're does, in my case, are each of them are different types of houses, different types of people, and they want different types of spaces. So I don't have a signature exactly. addition that I add to people's houses. Exactly. That's exactly right. Unless you have an identifiable signature style, which, you know, let's be real, the architects, right? If you look at a building that Zaha or, you know, the, the firm that continues on after her that carries her name... If you look at a building, Zaha. If you look at um, the Oculus in Manhattan, in the financial district of Manhattan, right next to the 9-11 memorial, if you know architecture, if you know architecture, you know that's Calatrava. If you, know, you look at something that Gary did, you know that's Gary. But beyond you know, that level of, of architect or star architecture or whatever it is, that, you know, that idea doesn't hold true for 99.9% .9 of firms out there. And it, and it comes back to, and, and here, here's the problem is if someone, if someone wants Calatrava, they're going to hire Calatrava. They're not going to go, okay, well, um, you know, what other local architect? No, they want Calatrava. And so they're going to go, they're going to go hire them. They're going to go hire that firm. And so then it, you know, beyond that point, it comes down to what is it actually like to work with this person? You know, do they listen to me? Do they, you know, whatever, whatever that experience is like. And I, and that's, I think the reality for the majority of the firms uh, on the planet. So I have a question for you then, Jeff. So what it's really like to work with me, I may have a specialty or a niche or something like that. So that has something to do with my brand or not anything to do with my brand. It kind of does, but really what it has to do with whether I am rude or whether I um, am dismissive of people's ideas or whether I write back in a timely fashion for emails. I mean, is that, was that what you're saying? Like basically I can say whatever I want about my style and my, my specialty, but if I am hard to work with, that's what my brand is. I think that's part of it. Yeah. I mean, think about how people make decisions, right? And again, if, if, you know, they're, they're sort of, I don't know how we want to define it, but call it elite level branding. You know, if you, if, if there's a, a, a brand that you would walk into a grocery store and, and recognize, right, that, that's, that's sort of transcended a lot of things. It's like, oh, I know that brand. You see it on a billboard or something like that. You can identify with it. Well, most architects are not at that level. So, um, uh, uh, because they're also not <laughs> foods or household products, but, but when, when we make a decision about a service provider, and it could be an architect, it could be an attorney, it could be whatever, you know, how do we do that? Okay, well, I need an architect that can design an addition to my home or a new home or whatever it is that I need. So now I can make a list. Here are 15 
architects that do that kind of work. Here are five that are near me. What do I know about any of these? You know, imagine someone's Googling and I'm not 100% convinced that people are Googling to find the architect that they want. They're probably asking more people. And this is, this is where it really becomes important. You know, well, okay. Who, who did your, you know, you go to a party, you love the, you love the kitchen, you love the addition, you love whatever it is and you go, Oh, wow. Who, who did this? Well, Catherine did that. Oh, wow. What was it like to work with Catherine? You know, think through the natural process that somebody goes through to make, to make a decision. One of the very first questions, because they've already made a judgment. Do I like this? Do I not like this? That's, that's pretty easy. That, that took them like a millisecond. It, it was a, it, it was an emotional, it was a visceral reaction to the space, to the design, to the whatever. Okay. Yes or no. It, it's, it's pretty binary at that point. Then what do I want to know? What, who, who did this? What was it like to work with them? And then we're getting into the idea of a brand for an architect. What, you know, that, that definition that I, I repeat all the time was what do people say about you when you're not in the room? You're not at that party, right? You're not in that room. Somebody is talking about what it was like to work with you. Okay. So this is where I was a little confused yesterday and perpetually confused about this point. So I would then not, well, would part of my brand and what I tell people and market myself as someone who's easy to work with, if that's what I want people to think. And then what if it's, what if I want people to feel like it's easy to work with me, but that hasn't been their personal experience. And obviously that's not, I don't have that much control besides my own behavior over what they think. Or even if they are a little, I have had a couple clients who are a little uh, untethered from reality, I feel like. And they might not have the nicest things to say about me because they might think I'm also untethered from reality because we just weren't seeing the same reality. But um, as happens sometimes, I don't know, it just feels like there's so little control really over your brand, if that's the case. That's part of it, right? We can we can do what we can do. But then when we're not in the room, right, and they're saying something, then then it's up to them. But the my question is always what's what can we give them? What story can we give them that we want them to tell? And, you know, going back to what, what Emily talked about and what she was saying is because she, you know, the, the name of her firm is Root and River and it's, it's based on the depth that they like to go to, um, in, in developing the, the brand and the, the messaging for their clients. So, you know, going back to what, she said, you do have to create the brand on your side. You know, what do you believe in? Um, you know, creating beauty or wh whatever those things are. Um, how do you express those things? And one of the things that she talked about, because I asked her about activating the, okay, we, we've, I have this belief, I have this purpose, I've created this, this messaging or whatever around it. Now what? Right? How do I get that? If if I'm working with Emily, or if you're working with Jeff, for that matter, you're saying it out loud, and we're putting it on paper, we're putting it on the screen, and things like that. But okay, how do we get it out of out of this working session in front of people who we want to work with? And so she talked about the language, the messaging. That's that's what I would call it on on your website. She talked about 
writing, maybe it's blog posts or, or, or I guess to continue, it could be the pages on um, social media posts, things like that, this consistent language. So we can, we can craft all of those things. And the more consistent we are with that messaging and the more that messaging gets out there and the more people are exposed to that, the more we're going to influence what people say. But it's, it's, it's got to be real, right? It's got to be authentic and you have to live that out. Um, they, if, if I say something, going back to Emily's uh, definition, if I say something, then the experience that my clients have have to bear that out or someone's eventually going to say this isn't authentic right this this isn't true like you were saying if you know if you say one thing and you have a client that's you know from your point of view is unhinged from reality they're going to say that that experience doesn't match up with that and i think that also is a nice segue to what emily talks about uh, and i completely agree with this is we want our brands to attract certain people and repel people that we think are unhinged from reality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I so many things that she said that I liked that struck me in a different way that I thought of branding before, that the brand attracts and repels people. Very important. Um, repulsion is even a little more important. I think I got that impression from her. What would you commit civil disobedience for? And how are you making people feel? Like, how are you making people feel? What do you truly believe? So, but then... Um, yeah, someone had asked in the morning on Clubhouse, what's the difference between a brand and a niche? So how do you communicate what you believe in a tagline, let's say? Is that even possible? Or would you bring, say, I'm a friendly architect who answers emails quickly and specializes in uh, boathouses? Go back to the point about civil disobedience. I, I loved it when she talked about that. You know, what would you be willing to commit civil disobedience for her. that's the depth to create a really powerful brand that is truly attracting some and repelling others it, it can't be just a surface i'm a really nice architect right and i answer emails it's it's got to be deep go to a coffee shop get out of your your usual space and and start some self-inquiry around you know what do i believe in um, here, some questions that we, we like to ask is what have you always believed to be true that no one ever taught you? What would you, what would you commit civil disobedience to defend? Um, what is something that you are working to instill in your children, the people you mentor, your nieces or nephews, um, those kind of questions, like really deep, right? So that, and as you begin to answer those, and as you begin to kind of sink into the truth, the, the foundational truths of who you are, you can layer on top of that, like, okay, now what am I trying to do through this firm? What, what kind of design am I, you know, how is this showing up? Um, or how do I wish, if you're new, how do I wish that it would show up? Um, so those are some good places to start, but I really, even if you do that one by one, um, so you could start with, with the, that, those values questions and move on to like mission, you know, what is my purpose here? What do I want to add to this industry, to this world, to this community that doesn't exist? Um, and what am I here to do that nobody else can do in my, you know, in the way that I can. And if you find yourself at a, stuck 
call a friend, call a buddy, call uh, your, your life partner and ask them, you know, what do I do best? What, what kind of, you know, what is it that makes me unique? And just listen and try to take that in. Those in the audience that may be religious and, and may, you know, may be familiar with Bible passages will be familiar with the, uh, and I forget exactly how it goes, so forgive me, but the idea that you're, Jesus said, I think you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm and I spew you out of my mouth. I think to me, that's, that's an image that comes into my head. If you're hot, I may like that, or I may not like that. If you're cold, I may like that, or I may not like that. But if you're lukewarm, nobody's going to like that, right? Nobody is. And I, and I think, you know, we could, we could take this way down a, a line and go, you know, why don't, why don't, uh, why don't clients see value in what we do? Well, it starts with you being lukewarm, right? If, if I don't, if I don't connect with you on a belief level or, you know, I get to talk in extremes because this is our show. <laughs> if I don't connect with you on a belief level, then how much value am I going to see in that? Right. We look at, you look at brands like Patagonia and they've been in the news lately because their owner has, um, uh, has basically given the company over to environmental causes, which is incredible. But there are incredible stories out of Patagonia where they made decisions that defy, have defied all kinds of consultants and advisors because of what they believe. And because of that level of commitment to what they believe, they have attracted very, uh, a very loyal, a very loyal following, a very loyal customer base. So then, the question to me is, how do you do that as an architect? It's not, it's not by being lukewarm. It's not by, hey, I answer, I answer emails in twenty four hours. And to to your point about the niche, yes, you need to be able to say, I do this, I believe this, and I, and bring the niche into that, right? Because you could have a belief about beauty or something, and that could be applied to residential architecture. It could be applied to a different type of architecture that you don't do. So I think the niche has to be a part of it, in my opinion. I have a uh, part of my current tagline or that I'm thinking of doing says that I work with people who are determined to uh, finish responsible or I can't explain. Okay. I work with homeowners who are determined to build a responsible renovation. And so responsible is a little judgmental and maybe a little bit heavy handed, but that is the way I feel like responsible could mean a whole bunch of things. And I feel like if they're going to, I mean, it could mean irresponsible to the environment or the neighborhood or the house or any of that, any of the ways that you can have a responsible, what I feel is a responsible project. So would that be, would that be an example or is that not an example or is that just me being judgmental of people? One of the reasons that I like Emily's comment or analogy or whatever about civil disobedience is because I, I think that does convey the idea that where are you going to plant the flag? Where are you going to make the stand? And it is judgmental. You know, so your question about about uh, responsible, is that too judgmental? No, I don't think it's judge, too judgmental at all. Reality tells us that certain people are going to read their own thoughts into what responsible is. And I think that's a great, for, for you and what you do and what you want to do, I think that's a great place to start the conversation. 
you know, what does that mean? You know, I'm, I'm thinking responsible, uh, responsible project, responsible edition. This is what I'm thinking. And, and then you can get into a much deeper conversation than, you know, starting at another point. And that automatically conveys the value of what you do. I think that's, that's at the heart of it, right? That's when we're, when we're willing to take a stand like a Patagonia or a Southwest airlines, or, you know, there's a million, a million examples of this, but when we're willing to take a stand, we're automatically taking a value position, you know, in that usage of the, which is automatically going to convey a value position in a, in a different usage of the word. Sometimes it's scary, I guess, to take a stand as to what you truly believe, because maybe not everybody will like you then, right? But then that's part of the repelling people. Like, you can't really, what I'm trying to say is you can't really repel without offending them a little bit. Otherwise, they wouldn't be repelled. And that's that's the point. You know, Emily talked about um, the fact that people ask all the time, and I get this too, you know, what's, what's the ROI? What's the ROI? What's the return on investment in going through this branding exercise or, you know, paying you, you know, I don't, I don't have any idea what Root and River charges for their different, uh, their different levels of service, but you know, what's the ROI of, of paying you tens of thousands of dollars to go through this process? Well, part of the ROI is if we create, if we create a brand, if we, if we define and develop a brand that repels certain people one of the things that you you get to do is say no less or or be in a position of having to say no which we all know you and i know uh, emily said it many of us in this community say it we don't like to say no we're, we're here to serve people many of us are people pleasers and so on and so forth part of the roi is not having to wade through all of these conversations with people that we know we should say no to, and maybe we don't say no to. And as you know, and much of our audience knows, I've got some horrific stories about projects and people that I should have said no to. And so that that's part of it. Yes, it is hard and it is uncomfortable. I, I guess I would think about it this way. If I get uncomfortable now, or right, if I get uncomfortable now and, uh, um, develop a brand that repels certain people how much discomfort does that save me in the future for sure it does yeah and i think actually after you make a stand like that and you feel like well this is me when i say something that i feel is unbelievable and i can't believe i'm saying this after a while after i've said it however many times i believe it so it, it the discomfort goes away it's just an initial getting used to me declaring what i actually believe that's my own personal experience. But then it's, um, you're right. And it saves me a lot of pain later. It's easy to say, right? It's easy for us to say it in this conversation. Uncomfortable, definitely. Harder to do, definitely. You know, I've told the story of my friend Joe numerous times uh, in different uh, context and clarity conversations about, you know, him wearing everything on his sleeve, including his his uh, views on religion and politics and, and music. And, you know, and I, I have described him as looking at looking like a thin Jerry Garcia and people in, in the real estate 
world, which is, you know, where he operated for, for a couple of decades going, Hey, you're going to need to shave and you're going to need to dress like a professional and you're going to need to quit talking about these things. And his insistence that, no, this is me. And I want to work with people that are okay working with me and, and either agreeing with my beliefs or being willing to talk about these things and all of these types of things. And, you know, for all of the naysayers at one point in time, and I don't know if this, if this still holds the record or not, but at one point in time, he had the single largest residential real estate transaction in the history of the state of Indiana. And it, it was a, one of these, like, um, how do you describe them? Like the, the, fancy, fancy condo buildings in the Conrad Hilton downtown, right? He, you know, and so that was, that was him looking like a thin Jerry Garcia talking all the time on social media and other places about politics, about religion, you know, all of these things wearing, you know, being Joe, taking that stand and insisting that he would only work with people that were okay with all of that. And he, you know, I don't even remember the numbers anymore, but it was, you know, multi, multi, multi-million dollar real estate transaction that was not scared off because he took that or those stands, I guess, you know, that was, that was his civil disobedience, right? That's what he was willing to be uh, civilly disobedient about. Well, good for Joe. Yeah. You know, I think about that. I wasn't alive in the 50s, but I think about the 50s as being a time when people weren't really um, as encouraged as they are now to be themselves. Right. I just, can you imagine just having to really conform with absolutely everything yeah. and not yeah. differentiate yourself? Anyway, that's a different. This is a really important conversation for architects and for professional services. And we talked about this the other day on Context and Clarity. What What makes you different? Because a lot of clients, and again, I, I always talk about the spectrum between sophisticated clients and unsophisticated clients. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to demean anybody, but you know, if we say that like the facilities manager at a university is a sophisticated client because they're dealing with architects all the time and dealing with construction and, and built environment issues all the time, you know, we'll call them a sophisticated client. And then someone that has never and may never again hire an architect, we'll call them an unsophisticated client. So if that's the spectrum, um, the, if, you, if your clients are, on, are towards the unsophisticated end of the spectrum, they don't know, right? They don't know what it's like or what architects do, or they see sameness. Right. Well, aren't all architects the same? Or how is an architect different than my nephew that is studying drafting in high school? Or my niece that's uh, an interior, des- sorry, but self-proclaimed interior designer or you know whatever, they see sameness. And when we see sameness, first of all, it makes it very hard to make a decision. Right? If I, if I go, if I change the context and I go look at at three different cars, not being a huge car guy. Um, I go look at three different cars, three different sedans, you know, what's the difference between these? It's very hard for me to make a decision. And I'm most likely in that scenario to go, okay, well, 
maybe today as we're as we're speaking gas prices here in in Indiana are about 4.29 a gallon i might go okay let me look at fuel efficiency and price what are the differentiators well this one has better gas mileage and it's $5000 cheaper than that one and only $1000 more than that one then maybe that's the differentiator yeah and most architects that are listening to this this part of the conversation horrifies them because in their mind, they're saying, I'm very different than the nephew in the drafting class or the niece that's the interior designer. And I don't want anybody making a decision simply based on price. So that brings us back to what makes you different. Well, it's a tricky subject, which is why some people make their whole career about helping people with it. It absolutely is. And I, you know, I think... I absolutely love Emily's uh, and, and Root and River's approach to this. They talk about intrinsic branding and brands being a, a spiritual experience. And if you can take your brand to that level, it's going to pay dividends. It is a pretty interesting endeavor trying to craft your image in a way and communicate that and actually get people to think of you in the same way that you'd like them to think of you. And remember, you have some control but not total control over that. Yeah, em Emily brought up the quote from Maya Angelou that uh, I don't remember the whole quote, but it basically says that people will remember how you made them feel. And I, you know, that that's something that architects should really be paying attention to. How are you making your clients feel from the first time they find you through the schematic design and the excitement through the beginning of construction and that excitement through the slog of construction all the way to the point where they they move in right and they have their their housewarming party or whatever it is that their their grand opening you know whatever that that finale is they're going to remember how you made them feel and when they when somebody asks you know what was it like they're going to tell you they're going to tell you about that experience and that's a big part of your brand all right. Well, now you know what we thought and what we're going to do with what we learned. But what did you think? What did we miss? I really hope that there was some big takeaway from either the Context and Clarity Live conversation or our breakdown here that will help you with your business. DM me on Instagram or Twitter and let me know what your takeaways are. You can find me on all the socials at at Jeff underscore Eccles. That's at J-E-F-F -F underscore E-C-H-O-L-S. So send me a message and let me know what your takeaway was. And if you want more conversations like this, subscribe to the Context and Clarity podcast where you're listening right now and leave us an honest review and a rating. Those things really do help us to get the message out and help more architects just like you. Oh, and also now you can follow us on Instagram as well as get a heads up on everything that's coming up. There, we're at context underscore clarity. In our next episode, Catherine and I will host Context and Clarity Live again with a new special guest and a new theme for the week. And we'll come right back here, backstage again, to break it all down for you again. There's always something new to look forward to. And if you love content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people like you that care about the built environment. And it's the home of Context and Clarity. 
with Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know that you're going to find something there that interests you. You can learn more at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L Media.com. And finally, if the topic of today's episode is of particular interest to you and you'd like to dig deeper into it, then join me over in the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. That's where every weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern, I host Context and Clarity Conversations. And we take these topics, topics like this, and we dig deeper. We have a conversation in real time to try to find more clarity around the things that matter most to you. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community, your practice, and how you can support those around you. Catherine and I will be back for our next episode. And in the meantime, I hope you'll join me and the Entree Architect community on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern so that we can help each other find more clarity around the topics that matter most, no matter what your context may be. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.